history. And we also believe that every movement of God is preceded by a movement of prayer. In fact, you could say that a movement of prayer is a, is a movement of God. And if we're serious about wanting God to transform us, transform our families, transform our communities or workplaces, uh, the foundation and the starting place of that is always prayer. If you look at the movements of God through history, every uh, movement of God, uh, some people call them revivals, every revival has always been preceded by a movement of prayer. And so as we head into fall, as we, as we start dreaming and thinking about what God wants to do in us, through us, um, we've realized and we keep coming back to the importance of prayer. And it's easy for us to try and do things out of our own strength, uh, but if we only do things out of our own strength, it doesn't have eternal, lasting value and significance. We're looking for eternal fruit, and that's through God and His Spirit. And praying is the way that we uh, enter and walk in relationship with God. So, we kick this morning off, pray first. So we're going to look at, uh, this morning we're going to talk about the purpose of prayer, uh, but in future weeks we're going to look at the power of prayer, the priority of prayer, and the persistence of prayer. And if you're anything like me, you can sometimes approach prayer uh, like you approach Santa Claus. And, and by that saying that we come to Santa with our requests. We come to Santa with a request, God, these are the things that we would like. Um, and I recognize it's important for me not to be naughty, but to be nice. And so I'm going to be nice so that I can get the things that I want or that I think are important. And I remember uh, growing up, my, my dad, uh, I recognize the different age demographics in the room right now. Um, so uh, you'll understand the context of my story here. I understood that my dad, um, like other parents, often worked for Santa, right? And uh, because Santa's, it's hard for Santa to be everywhere at one time. Um, and so during the year, he often, you know, as we know, he, he hires parents out to help them. And, um, you know, there's lots of malls in the world in the Christmas season. And, you know, Santa's got to visit all the malls, you know. So sometimes parents got to help out in that way. Uh, so my dad was Santa's helper in Killarney the place that I grew up. Um, and so, uh, so my dad would help Santa out by going to visit the mall in Killarney, the Killarney Mall. Actually, in fact, it's not called Killarney Mall, it's just called Mall. Uh, <laughs> if you go to Killarney, you'll see that there's a, there's a building there and it just says Mall. And uh, if you're looking for the Killarney Mall, don't be confused, there isn't any other mall, it's just Mall, you just go to Mall. Um, and so my dad would, uh, you know, he helped Santa out and and me and my older brother, we were a little bit older, and you know, we, we were able to understand the complexity of Santa's setup and how he kind of operates his business. Um, <laughs> my younger brother, though, was still quite young, and uh, he didn't get the complexities. And so, anyways, we go to the mall, like every kid in Clarney. Um, hopefully, we've been good enough. And so we want to go talk to Santa because, you know, I think we've been pretty good this year and we want to give Santa requests. And so we, we go to the mall as a family. My, my little baby brother um, jumps up on Santa's knee and Santa looks at him and says, you know, ask him, what would you like this year? And uh, my younger brother looks at him and says, grabs the beard 
pulls the beard and says, Dad? <laughs> and then had this hysterical fit in the middle of the mall. It's my dad. It's not Santa. Uh, Now, so sometimes we come to God as if he's Santa. I think I've been good enough. And because I've been good enough, I think God's actually going to listen to me and answer my prayers and listen to my requests. But often there's this moment of realization in our prayer life where we realize that God is more like a father than he is like Santa Claus. That God is actually our dad, not just Santa. And the main point that I want to basically hopefully illustrate and draw, draw out this morning is that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want him to do. But the primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed. The primary purpose of prayer is not to send a request to God as if he's Santa to hopefully get him to do what we want him to do. But the primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed Prayer is not persuading God to do our bidding. Prayer is about coming to see the world through God's eyes. If you want to use another illustration, if the Santa one doesn't work for you, to quote Christina Aguilera, the profound thinker, um, sexual connotations aside, I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. You got to rub me the right way, honey. And sometimes that's how we come to God. God's this genie. He's the Santa. I got to figure out how to get God to move and respond to my requests. But God isn't like that. God can use our requests. He can use them, and he does respond to them. But a request is more about establishing trust, establishing dependency. And last week we talked about uh, the word faith and how faith is more than just rational uh, thought and belief, it is actually more about trust and dependency. And so, so often we come to God with the requests, um, but it's actually more about establishing faith in God than about trying to manipulate him and get him to answer our requests. Um, so that's kind of where we're going this morning. I'm going to invite uh, a friend of mine up, uh, Tina Washington. And so if Tina's in here, she can come to stage. You can give Tina a hand as she walks up. Tina has been gracious enough to, to volunteer herself and to be vulnerable. And I'm going to ask her a few questions about, uh, about prayer. And uh, yeah, and God doesn't always uh, do things the way we think he ought to, right? Um, and so I'm going to let Tina tell a little bit of the story. But even this morning, as we were preparing for this morning, and you know, we kind of had our plans for this morning, uh, and those plans didn't quite work out the way we thought. And uh, so, and I don't want to overstep my bounds, Tina, so I'm just wondering if you can even talk about that as much as you feel like is appropriate uh, in terms of you know, what we were going to talk about this morning, what this morning was going to look like, and where we find ourselves now. Does this sound, am I hearing everything? You're on. I'm on, okay. Yeah. So really, I'm Jacob right now, because Jacob was supposed to be up here. And um, so we were going to be this tag team. Jake was going to come up first and be interviewed by Matt, and then I was going to come up later and 
give you my perspective of how prayer changes you when you pray. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I had met with, uh, with Jake this, this week, and uh, Jake was on YOM. Uh, when did he get back from YOM? He got back in June. He got back in June. And then he went to work at camp. And so I, I'd seen him briefly on one Sunday. And, uh, and immediately, and I, I said this when, when I met with him this week, immediately when I saw him, I, I could tell that something had changed in Jake just by looking at him. I didn't even have a conversation with him. I looked at him. I looked at his eyes. I looked at his smile. I looked at the way he was engaging with people. And I was like, wow, what did, what did God do? Like, God did something. Um, and so I met with Jake. Finally, as it lined for when I was home and when he was home from camp, and we got to actually meet and chat last week, had a great conversation um, about how God had um, really transformed his, his heart. Um, and, uh, and I, even used, the, I even used the language when I was talking to him. I was like, it's like God did heart surgery on you, and you came back different than when he left. And, and your, your countenance was completely different. Um, so even before we get into your piece, Tina, maybe your perspective as a mom on what you know, God has done in Jake as you've seen him from when he left um, to when he came back. Yeah, I don't know. Well, a lot of you probably don't know us. And I will share a little bit about Jake's story, whether or not he wanted me to do this. Oh, well, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> so when he left for YWAM, it was like a four-day like preparation. So it was a Monday that he said, I think I need to go. And by Thursday, I had him on a plane to New Zealand. So <laughs> his journey was not like, oh, I'm going to get prepared for YWAM and I got this. No, he's filling out his application and where it says, are you a believer? He's like, no. Are you this? No. And he was really honest that he grew up in a Christian home and um, but felt that he, he needed to do something. And so they said, yes, you can come. Our school starts on Saturday. So that's why he flew out Thursday, and he arrived the, la the day that school was starting and was picked up at the airport by actually a girl that went to Briarcrest with a one, one of our other sons, mm. which was, we didn't even know she was there. So... Jake didn't tell us till probably about, I would say, six weeks later, we get this letter from him and how within about two weeks, he had had just such an encounter with God, like, like just crazy, heart transforming. And he said, I'm not, there's no going back. There's no going back. You're, you know, after 20 years of you praying, you know, mom and dad, I'm, I'm in this. So it like, just messed us up real bad, but it was a real good messing up. Mm -hmm. And when he returned home, like he didn't want a lot of this being shared, necessarily even with his siblings. He wanted to come home and live it out. And I have to say that when he returned home, he really was living it out, and he still is. Like, mm -hmm. um, just serving, like... He's just serving. He just is up and helping. And, and it's like Matt said, there's this whole countenance thing. And if you ever get a chance to talk to Jake, he did seriously have heart surgery. Mm -hmm. He had a moment, an encounter with God, 
in such a dramatic way, he actually saw the surgery taking place on his heart and the things that were being cut away and the things that were being replaced, which was God's character. And, um, and so this morning, when he was about to get ready, or was supposed to be up and coming, he, um, he said, Mom, I just, I can't. And I, and I said, so I know something's going on. He's not really talking a lot I, about, he's just really battling through some things, and that's why, thank you, community. We're all connected. We all uh, stand together and pray, and I think that actually... You know, the, the part of his journey now is like living out the yeah. transformation. Because we all have processes that we're going to have to go through. Just because you have this encounter and whatever, then there's a process. Because there was a lot of stuff that happened beforehand that Jake has got to kind of clean up. Yeah. And, and, and he does it, like Holy Spirit does it with him. But he just didn't feel like this isn't the time for me to get up here and share. Even though he told Matt, oh, yeah, he says, I love sharing, Mom, but just not today. Yeah. I just can't today, not after what I just battled through last night. And I'm like, well. Yeah. And so at some point, we will have Jay come and share. Um, yeah. And we, I probably would have delayed even this, except that Jake is... Um, through God's leading, is actually moving to Prince George right away. And so he, he's not able to be with us for a little bit here. Um, but in the future, we will have Jake come and share a bit of a story before he left and when he got back, and so you can hear maybe firsthand and more specifically what some of those changes have been. Um, but in the process of when I was chatting with Jake, um, obviously I had this prayer sermon kind of percolating in my mind. Uh, and I know that Tina is quite a prayer warrior, and she's got eight, eight kids, right? Collective sigh. Wow. <laughs> Eight kids. Um, and uh, real mother's heart for her kids. And I know praise, praise for them. Uh, her and Frank pray for their kids um, continually and often. And uh, I was just thinking of Tina and how, how long she's been praying for Jake and watching, um, not only Jake, but her other kids too. Um, and how often she's throwing up her heart and her request to God and it seems like it's slow or things are moving backwards. And no, God, that's not what I asked for. I wanted to go this way, not this way. Um, and so my questions for Tina were more, how has that process through praying for your kids? And this morning, even in a great exam, I was like, okay, we're going to do this and it's going to be great. And then uh, God's like, well, no, it's not actually going to work out that way. And, uh, and then that affects you. So as a mom and someone who's praying and working through your relationship with God and praying for your kids... Uh, how, how has that shaped you and transformed you? Well, just in this morning, I will say, there's that part of me that I wanted to, like, when I'm talking to Jake, I'm like, this is your opportunity to stand up and, like, face this and, you know, like, just kick the enemy in the butt. You know, like, it's okay, come and share from a place of vulnerability, not just a place of, like, well, I'm doing so great and tell all the great things, but, yeah, I have some struggles. And so... For me to say, I almost felt like, am I going to be able to do this now? Because I was kind of a mess at home to begin with. But then I remembered, it's like, these are the kind of prayer, prayers I pray. I want, to, I want to be more like you, Jesus. I, don't, I want to be an overcomer. And this is my opportunity to stand here and say, you know what, enemy? You're not winning. You haven't won. You won't win. And I'll stand here and and share this, even though it's difficult, because it was like, oh, we're going to be so great together. 
<laughs> Mother and son, like I'm on the stage and, you know, like glory to God. And it is glory to God. Seriously, it still is glory to God. God hasn't changed. Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Yeah, he's still the same, still pretty excited about us, still pretty crazy about us. And um, I'm just find ways always to partner with what God sees and what his heart is. Mm. So is that where I want to go to? Yeah, Okay, yeah. so for... You're doing you great. Know, when, when Matt kind of started, uh, when he talked to me on the phone, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I have so much, I think. But I went back and I looked at a few of my journal writings, and please don't get me, like, I don't write in my journal. <clears throat> every day my heart is, oh, yeah, I would love to write in my journal every day, or I should write in my journal every day. But I looked and I'm like, wow, I took a year off. <laughs> oh, and that one was like two years. <laughs> but when I go back to writing it in again, it's like my, my prayers have remained the same. And I went back and this is one journal that just, and it kind of started for me when I really started journaling was about 2004. So I'd already been a Christian for 20 years, but I really had kind of my own transformation 20 years in. And... Um, so 2006, like I was reading in this going, oh, wow, like I was saying the same things kind of like I'm saying now. And it's mm. so much about the generations. And um, I pray from that, my heart is from that place of like to see, like I said, to see what he sees, to hear what he hears, to know what he knows, and to declare from that place what is transpiring. Whether or not it looks like all hell is breaking loose, because seriously, it looks like all hell is breaking loose sometimes. A lot of times. And when you multiply, you know, that by eight, <laughs> and exponentially when they start bringing in significant others, um, that I still, my heart is for anyone that walks in our home, like, I just have that. Like, you come in our home, I want, I, I want, I, I totally get that connection. I want to, like, be that home where they come in and they feel love and they don't understand it necessarily and whatever. But anyways, I, um, I might just read one thing here because cause I did put stickies in my journal. But I have to say, and some of the things that I do along this journey is I make a point of listening to others that are heroes of the faith, heroes of prayer, heroes, you know, that you can glean from because, I mean, ultimately, Holy Spirit is the best teacher, and if you ask him, he'll show you, and he wants to. He wants to reveal Father God's heart. Uh, for us, and I, I liked this, I did hear this one message not that long ago, I think it was 2015, but um, I wrote this down, and these are not my words, they're his words. Prayer is not my opportunity to have my way with God. It is my response to his invitation to come boldly into the throne room and have discourse that alters the course of history. It is my chance to partner with God, to tap into his heart, to co-labor with him through prayer, to release his will and purposes on the earth. 
And this was 2015. I wrote the same kind of things about co-laboring and partnering with his heart, you know, back in 2006. And that's what I feel like I've just been doing over my, you know, over my family um, for those years. And I, so when Jake had his own experience and kind of like his own, like, yeah, I'm going for it, that almost, it's like it puts wind under your wings again. It's like, whoa, that's a good one. Just want more now, Lord. <laughs> um, I used to even think I would be happy with deathbed conversions. <laughs> for some other kids. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah. uh, that's thinking really small. <laughs> like, that's not God's thoughts. Yeah. I have to say, God's yeah. thoughts are big. And he's like, conversion? You can wake up one morning and not even know that you're going to get converted that day or sanctified or whatever. So I'm like, okay, bring it on, Lord. I'm not waiting. Not- I don't want to do deathbed anymore. Like, I want the now. And I want acceleration and that's his heart. Tina, when we chatted this week, you said something along the lines of, I don't need to beg God that's right. to do something I want. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you explain what you meant by that phrase? I don't need to beg him with these requests. Um, well, he already wants this stuff. Mm. Like he wants all that's good, all that's best, all that's pure and right and holy and... So he wants that, so why do we have to beg him for it? I don't know, think of a natural parent, and you know your kids are like begging you for the cookies that you made already. They're sitting on the counter and they're begging. You're like, what's the deal? They're right there, get one. I've already provided it. Like he's given us everything. We can't give anything back to God that he hasn't already given us. So he's given it, so why are we begging? Like, I love declaring. And if, as you even, like, pray the Bible, you'll see it's, it's declaration. It's like, this is, you're the head, not the tail. You know, um, so come from a place of victory in our prayers, in my prayers. That's what I want to do, is come from that place. So you come into alignment and partnership with God, understanding what his will is, what, what his heart is, and you come in agreement with that, you know, praying that, declaring that. Um, but then you live in this gap yeah. between what you're saying and what you're experiencing. And so my last question for you is, as you're in that gap, like you're in there this morning, mm-hmm. what, how does that change you? How does that change your heart when you're living out in that tension between what you're saying, what, you're, what you believe God wants, and what you're actually experiencing? I love that you just said the word tension, because I actually just listened to a message this week from Melissa Hessler. Everyone, does anyone know her, like, worship? leader. Um, Her and her husband wrote, No Longer Slaves, and they sing that. So anyways, she talked about tension, and I think that is a beautiful thing. She was talking about, you know, you can't make no instrument. You have to have the right tension to get the sound, Mm. and it's beautiful music. We're all going to have tension. So let's embrace that tension, because we're going to, I mean, that's processes of life in this earthly journey, and it can be beautiful, mm-hmm. and it makes awesome music So, to the heart of God. And so for me, how does it change me? I, You know, it's been a process, a journey, and it's not done. I haven't attained, 
But that's my heart's desire, my heart's cry is to be like him. And he said, yeah, I told you that you could. I put myself in you, so you are to be that way. And as you learn the process and you live in the tension, know that it's reaching my heart, it's reaching my ears. I'm, I'm hearing not one word spoken in prayer is missed. Not one tear falls without him catching it. Awesome. Thank you, Tina. I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to pray for Tina and her family. And uh, we appreciate her vulnerability. I know it wasn't easy to get up and share this morning. Um, but when people are actually transparent, doesn't it, doesn't it just feel like a breath of fresh air? It's like, oh, you mean the Washingtons don't have it all figured out? Not everything's perfect? Well, it gives me freedom to actually um, be encouraged in our journeys, right, as we live in that tension. So, so Father, we thank you for Tina. We thank you for Frank. Lord, we thank you for their hearts uh, that uh, long after you, Lord, that seek first your, your kingdom. And, Lord, we know that as they seek first your kingdom, you know, all these other things are added, that you take care of these things and that we trust you with them. And, Lord, I thank you for the transformation that um, took place in... Uh, in Jake's life, we, we testify to what you've done. And Lord, we, we look forward to the day where Jake is actually here himself to testify for what you've done. Um, but we just recognize that and say thank you for the way that you transform hearts, that you, can, uh, that you can change people from the inside out. And that sometimes we try and change ourselves, and we try and we try, but it doesn't work uh, because this, it's the systemic change that only your spirit brings. And we thank you that you've brought that in Jake. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that you've brought that over time, over years, even in Tina's heart as she's lived in that tension as a mom, that she's continually, to, she's continually proclaimed and prayed for things that she knows you're all about, that your heart is all about, and she's chosen in that tension to be formed by you instead of becoming bitter and frustrated. And so we thank you for that formation. Uh, we pray... Um, I just want to pray specifically again for Jake, Lord, as he's taken these steps of faith. We know that the enemy comes against him, um, and we just ask you to protect his heart. Yeah. We protect his mind. Lord, we just recognize that his past um, does not own him, uh, that you own him, and that his past is actually a part of his testimony to declare what you've done in his life and that you've come to redeem that. So we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give Tina a hand. Thank you, Tina. Oh, I think we could just go home right there. Thanks uh, for coming. I, so this, this, this idea that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we, we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. And as Tina and as we actually sit in the tension between what we know that God wants, we are properly formed in that. But the question becomes, what does God want? And does God always want what we want? Um, and so we're going to look at a couple of scripture passages this morning. Last week we, look, we talked about uh, basically the, how modernity, and I, define, I, I kind of drew out two main points of that, are the way we, we think rationally and how that's kind of distorted our understanding of faith, that faith is more about trust than it is about rational uh, doctrines or beliefs. So learning to trust in Jesus, even when we have doubts and we don't have all the answers. 
But the second thing we talked about, uh, not just faith and belief in faith, uh, but also individualism, that we live in an individualistic culture that has rejected tradition, that has rejected things that have come before because we've bought in this lie that whatever comes next, whatever's newest is actually best. So we, we reject tradition. We think that um, it's about our own self-fulfillment, right? Because we've tr rejected tradition, community. Uh, we've bought into like this American dream idea that we can be all uh, that we can be and we can be anything we want to be and it's about us uh, rather than us being a part of something bigger than ourselves. Which is, a, which is a much more uh, common understanding of how we work in the function of history and community uh, through history. Uh, people have understood it more that way, our role in history, but also especially in the Eastern culture, which our biblical text comes out of, they thought less like individuals as we do and more like members of an ongoing story. Members of, they're, they're playing a role in a plot that is much bigger than themselves. So how does this individualistic approach actually challenge our understanding of prayer? We've, we've mentioned some of these things already, how we come to God with our requests, hoping that God exists to tailor to our needs. But we realize as we look at Scripture that the disciples and followers of Jesus, and before Jesus came, uh, followers of Yahweh, they were constantly being formed and shaped by Yahweh to come, under, to come into partnership, as Tina said, or to come into alignment with what God was already doing, with, with what God wanted to do. And so if you look at Acts 10, and it's in your words to live by, I'm just going to read a, a quick little segment of a much larger story here. We won't get into the larger story, but basically Acts chapter 10, verse 9 to 10 says this, the next day at Cornelius's, next day as Cornelius's, Cornelius's messengers excuse me, were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. While a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So Peter, a good Jewish boy, is going to pray, and as he's praying, he fell into a trance. And I don't know what you think of when you hear the word trance, uh, but the Greek word there is ecstasis. And this is a Greek word that means to stand outside of yourself. And so the translators translate this as trance. To stand outside of yourself. What happens after this trance that Peter goes into is God gives him a vision, and the vision that God gives him is to eat these things that he was told his whole life were unclean. That vision was the beginning of Peter's understanding that God is coming to redeem and save all of humanity, not just the Jews. Huge moment. Peter had this understanding that God had elected and had a specific group of people, the Jewish people, and God was doing something in the Jewish people, through the Jewish people, and then he gives them this, this experience, this trance, this ecstasis moment where he stands outside of himself and he's able to see something new, something that God wants to do that is actually counter and different than Peter's own convictions. You following me? And so this, the idea of prayer primarily, as in Peter's experience, is to pull ourselves away from ourselves 
to actually understand what God wants to do. And Peter, being a good Jewish boy, said, God, I'm never going to eat anything unclean. I've never let an unclean thing touch my lips. There's no way I'm going to touch it. And God says, no, I want you to eat this. And so there's this new revelation that happens as Peter pulls himself out of, his, out of himself, and God actually speaks to him something about his will, something about his heart for the world. Peter becomes aligned in what God is doing. The purpose of prayer is to gain this perspective that is outside of our self-interested, self-defensive, egocentric perspective. It's actually the, to deny the individualism of our world and our culture and to recognize prayer isn't actually primarily about me, it's about God. And so in prayer, I'm actually going to step outside of myself and ask God, God, what do you want to do? What's your heart on this matter, God? Staying in Acts. You can turn to Acts uh, 2. This isn't the words to live by, but Acts 2, verse 42. Very popular passage here. Um, You may have heard it before. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. This is right after Pentecost happened, and Pentecost is the moment as the disciples are waiting after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus sends to go to the Father, and uh, Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you. And so they, they, they're waiting. The believers come together, they wait, they, and the, the Holy Spirit comes. So they receive the Holy Spirit, God's presence among them and in them. And then we have this, all the believers devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And what I want to focus on this morning is the words, and to prayer. Because what we don't see in our English translation is that this word is actually plural. And it has the article with it, So the article being the in grammar, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Very specifically, the prayers. And sometimes we think, well, the Holy Spirit came and they just started, you know, praying and spontaneity and whatever was on their hearts. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt that there was spontaneous prayer happening, but this passage is very specific that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the sharing of meal, including the Lord's Supper, communion, you know, what we often do here together, and to the prayers, corporate specific, specific prayers that, have, uh, that they came together to pray together. And so I, I'd have to ask, what are the prayers? Everybody off in their individual corners kind of praying to God on their own. It's understood that the prayers being referred to here the prayers of the early church. So they came together, they, they wrote prayers that they would uh, be formed by as a community. The Lord's Prayer, for sure, as they learned to pray as Jesus prayed, and so they would recite that prayer together. And definitely the Psalms, you know, 150 chapters, all Jewish prayers that they would pray They would pray the Psalms together. They would pray the Scriptures together. And we have this aversion to 
corporate, formalized praying. And I would argue that comes from this individualistic bent that we all have. That we think that anything that's formalized, that's corporate, that's been written for me, that we do together as a community, it's not quite as good as my own spontaneous prayer in the corner all by myself. But if the primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed, not just to get God to do what you want Him to do, the truth is that prayer forms you. And the type of, praise, the type of, type of prayers that you pray form you. Throughout, throughout church history, this has been known as liturgy. And so, you know, honest, how many of you guys, you know, when you hear the word liturgy, you kind of have like this a little bit of a reaction to that word? Anybody here? Okay. So if you have a bit of a church... Uh, you know, high church background, depending on which tradition you came from, you hear the word liturgy and you're like, oh, liturgy. Um, because liturgy for some of us just feels dead. It feels lifeless. These corporate prayers that, you know, people have prayed through, through church history, they end up praying and they're not actually meaning what they pray. And so it becomes this lifeless thing. But liturgy simply means work of the people. Usually tra- translated as worship or minister in Scripture. And every person, every church, every community has a liturgy. SunWest has a liturgy. If you've, if, you've, if you've been around SunWest for a while, you come in and you know the liturgy. You know, the, the worship leader starts off. You know, even before the worship leader starts off, what happens before the worship starts? There's a video, maybe a countdown video. Worship leader leads a song. They might do a quick welcome. There's a host that comes up, and the host usually comes up and says, Welcome to Sun West. At Sun West, we. we I, I heard it. We exist to all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus. If you're new here and you don't know the liturgy, that's okay. It's, 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 it's all good. <laughs> Let me give a few announcements. Uh, Then often there's an intro video, there's a sermon, there's a closing song, and uh, if you've been around, you know what to expect and how it works. That's our liturgy. The question isn't whether or not we should have a liturgy, because we do have a liturgy. The question is, how does our liturgy form who we are? How does our prayer life form who we are? We all have a liturgy. The question is, is it, is it a good liturgy? Are we aware of it? How is it shaping us? People often refer to liturgy as dead, as I said, but liturgy is, is either true or false, not dead or alive. What's dead or alive is the worshiper. You, you see that? If our liturgy becomes dead, it's because we're, we've become dead. Liturgy becomes true or false the worshiper is dead or alive, and when you have an alive worshiper with a true liturgy, then it becomes a powerful thing. So Jesus understanding the importance of how prayer shapes us. The disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so this is part of what they would have understood as the prayers that the early church was praying together. Teach us how to pray. And the Lord gives them a liturgy. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes we think, well, the Lord gave them an example of what types of prayers to pray. And that's true. He gave us an example of what prayer could look like. And we can work off of that with some spontaneity. But don't lie to yourself. He meant for us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our aversion to prepackaged prayers 
reveals our modern arrogance and our bent towards individualism. We want to change, we want to be in charge of our own praying. How dare someone tell us how to pray? How dare Jesus tell me how to pray? But if we trust ourselves to pray, we just end up recycling our own issues. If your prayer just comes out of your heart, out of your own requests, then you end up just recycling your own issues. You end up spinning your tires and you're stuck. If you're an angry person, you probably pray angry prayers. If you're full of anxiety, you may pray anxious prayers. I used to think that I was pretty good at praying, but I realized that often what I was doing with God, I'd get in my car and I'd have this ongoing conversation with God, but it revolved around my issues and I kept just telling God all my stuff. I'm talking about my anger, what I'm anxious, the people that were bugging me, you know, and I'd, I'd say all these things, my, my struggles as a husband, as a parent, and you, you say these things to God, and it's like, oh, it's good to get that off my chest, and, uh, and then you go back to your life, and, but has anything changed? Have you actually moved forward? Because I was coming to God, it was a spontaneous prayer out of my heart, yes, but it wasn't a prayer <clears throat> that was said with the desire to be formed by God. So we pray, but we stay put. But how we pray is how we are. In the modern age of reason, the sentiment is that organized religion should have no authority in the life of a modern person because we're individuals. Religion is out, but spirituality is in. So we don't want formalized religion, but we just want to be spiritual people. As modern people, if we pray prayers, we're going to pray our own prayers which is to say that we're not being formed by prayer, we're just expressing ourselves. There's a big difference between just expressing ourselves and actually praying. So Jesus, when teaching the disciples how to pray, says, pray like this. Be formed like this. Another way to understand this, um, I'm going to... It's okay if I play my guitar for a second. So I've played guitar for a little while, and, uh, and when I first started taking music lessons, when I was quite young, you know, I first took piano lessons, uh, and pretty early on after they teach you Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, they start to teach you these things called scales. Same thing happened when I learned, uh, learned guitar. Pretty soon I was learning scales. Uh, anybody had an experience with scales? Yeah. Anybody like hated practicing scales when you were a kid? Okay. So I remember I hated scales when I learned piano. Um, I hated scales when I was learning guitar. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my guitar teacher helped me see that when I look at, I'm going to use Josh Childress as an example. I know you guys don't know who he is, but lead guitarist for Collective Soul, one of my favorite bands as a kid. Um, He's a guitar player. I just want to play like that. Well, did you know that he can't actually play like that? Because you can't play like that unless you learn your scales. Oh, really? Maybe you want to look at John Mayer, great guitar player. And you're like, I just want to play like John Mayer. I don't want to learn scales. But did you know that John Mayer has spent more hours than many of you are alive um, learning scales, playing scales? And so I come to guitar lessons. You know, I might learn a pentatonic scale, which is like a, a five-note scale. Pentatonic scale. And my, you know, my guitar teacher, you, get, you do this over and over again, over and over again, you're like, this sucks. 
I just want to play some collective soul, okay? Just give me some collective soul. Right? So you're learning, you're learning a five-note pentatonic scale. And then, uh, and then he might, you know, teach you how to add like a flat third into it, right? So you got, oh. Well, it just has a little bit more life in there, hey? A little bit of a blue scale. Right? And then, uh, you know, maybe you, you want to move beyond the five-note scale, learn a seven-note scale, which many of you guys know, a major scale. Right? Right, so you learn a, learn a C scale, C major scale. And so you practice these scales over and over and over again. Why are you practicing these scales? Because you're being... Your, your, your mind, your hands are all being formed to think and operate in a certain way. You guys understand what I'm saying? And pretty soon, as you're playing, you don't... See, start to... What am I doing? I'm playing scales. But the scales actually provide the foundation for improvisation. The scales are what form your fingers... Form your mind, form your ability to actually connect with your guitar to express yourself in a spontaneous way. But it's only after you've been formed. You guys understand? Jesus gives his disciples a scale. The Psalms become a scale. Um, church fathers who have written prayers give us scales because they want us to be bound by them because they want lifeless liturgy to rule in the church? No. Because they've given us things that ensure that ecstasis happens, to ensure that this experience of actually pulling ourselves away from our individualism enough to be formed and shaped by God. They want to make sure that that is able to happen. So what does Jesus teach us to pray? We're not going to look at the whole prayer. I just want to look at the beginning of it, because the beginning of it is the formative part of how we approach God in prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, um, you can find this in Matthew 6, verse 9. Um, Our Father. Jesus didn't just say God. He didn't just say the Greek word theos. He says our Father. Pater is the Greek word. Which has the same connotations as Abba, which Jesus uses, uses elsewhere. So our Father. Not Theos, not this distant God, not Santa Claus, but Daddy, my dad. It's Jesus' only, it's his own word for his relationship with God. And the powerful thing that happens in this prayer, which we fail to realize sometimes, is that Jesus gives the disciples the permission to pray to God as Father. It's not just this exclusive relationship that Jesus has with God is actually the relationship that we get to have with God and we can approach God, not just as theos, not just as God, not just as somebody way out there, but as Father. But Father also has the connotations of authority. That there's a relationship, but there's also this authority. There's also this, this, this reality in your life that is helping you live and shaping the way that you live. And the Father language dominates this whole passage in Matthew. You can find in verse 1, verse 4, verse 6, verse 8, 9, 14, 15, 18, through the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is this entire section of Scripture here. 
Jesus is constantly referring to God as Father. A position, a role of intimacy, but also a role of authority. And in our language today, in the way that we communicate to one another, we've dropped the need for address. We don't, we don't use address with people. Um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, if I didn't refer to, you know, someone as Mr. and Mrs. Dick, you know, I'd get slapped upside the head. Anybody else? Now my kids will, uh, you know, my, my youngest son will refer to my wife as Lisa. <laughs> hey, Lisa! And Lisa always replies, I'm not Lisa, I'm your mom. And he'll say, okay, Lisa Marie. Throw the middle name in there. Trust me, I didn't, we didn't teach him that. Hey, Matthew Ryan, he'll say to me, I know your name. I'm dad. Call me dad. I'm, I'm not Matthew. Don't call me Matthew. Don't call me Matt. Why is address important? Because it actually reinforces and, and it forms us in the context of that relationship. Father, dad, intimacy, but authority. The address is important, and Jesus teaches us that how we approach God is important. It shapes us. The name calls attention to our, stand, to our standing in relation to the one who's addressed. Our Father who art in heaven... And this has come to mean over time, our Father who is far away and will be relevant much later. Heaven's far away. I'll get there someday. Our Father who is far away and much later. But this is actually not what the text says. Um, without getting too nerdy here, but it says, uh, if we were to actually get into the Greek, it would say, our Father in the heavens. Heaven's plural. What do you think? Oh, what's the difference? Well, we understand heaven in a certain way, which has its own issues. Uh, but what's being said here is our Father in the heavens, the understanding of that which is all around us, that which is in space, in the stars, the sun, but also in the air that we breathe. Our Father, intimate relationship, authority, who is everywhere, who is right beside me, but who is also mysterious and, is, is, and exists in places I've never been to or will never travel to. Our Father in the heavens, among us, always near me, wherever I go, there you are. There's no place I could go that you wouldn't be. Hallowed be your name. I'm using the old traditional language here. This is critical, that God's name, we don't use the word hallowed, but the idea of the name being sanctified, being holy, being set apart, being other than we are, that God is unique. There's no one else like him. That human life is not simply about human life, that there's nothing that will go right until the greatness and goodness, uniqueness, and authority of God is adequately grasped in our lives. His very name is held in highest possible regard. Until that is, the human compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction, and individual lives, as well as history as a whole, will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. That's a quote from Dallas Willard. 
our individual lives and history as a whole will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. Basically, what Dallas Willard is saying, that God, our Father, who's all among us, is who's all around us, is our true north. He is the one that we are oriented around. And unless we understand him as set apart, as different as, as um, the authority in our lives, we will always be lost. We would do better to translate the language here as let your name be sanctified, let your name be uniquely respected. Our Father, who art in heaven, who art in the heavens, who is all around us, set apart as your name, thy kingdom come. And I've, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. That is the domain where what he prefers is actually what happens. That if we want God's kingdom to come, it actually comes primarily through us surrendering to his will. Because kingdom come is actually the reign of God, the rule of God. The place where what God's heart is, what his will is, is actually happening. And so we willingly come under that reign and that rule so that the kingdom of heaven comes in our life. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in the heavens. This is actually a singular word. Singular. So it starts off in the, with the plural, that God is all around us in the heavens, but thy kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. This, the specific place where, where God's rule and reign exists would come here and now in my life and around me. This prayer, and then Jesus teaches them to bring their request before God, but not without first forming themselves around their relationship with God. Without having this ecstasis moment where the disciples pull themselves away from themselves and come under the rule, the authority, and the kingdom of God. And as we close, I'm going to invite the band forward here. Um, I recognize that the, our understanding of father is often um, distorted by our earthly fathers. Uh, and I, I just want to I just want to mention that quickly, that sometimes when I'm, as I'm speaking about God as Father, we misunderstand what that is saying because we're letting our earthly fathers interpret what the Heavenly Father is like. Instead of recognizing what the Heavenly Father is like and allowing that to help us interpret our earthly experience. You guys see the difference? I don't know your story. And you might have had people in authority in your lives, maybe fathers, mothers, others, um, that, have, uh, that have hurt you, that have wounded you, that didn't always have your best interest at heart. But when we come to the Heavenly Father, we have faith and belief that He is perfect, that He is loving, that He is love itself. And if you had experiences in your life with those in authority over you that, that didn't always function in a loving way, I just want to speak that out this morning and say that wasn't God the Father. That's not what his heart is like. He's far different from that. And he wants you to experience what it's like to actually be formed by God the Father. 
by the one that's all around us, by the one that will be everywhere you will ever be, by the one who is set apart and holy. Why don't you stand with us as the worship team leads us in a final song. How are you being formed? Um, are you coming to God like Santa? Have you had that experience like my younger brother where you realize that Santa's far more like a dad than he is like Santa Claus and it's kind of frightening? But as you journey through that, you realize it's actually the best thing. How do we form? How are we being formed by our prayers? And as we worship together, the, the, the song this morning is around the Lord's Prayer. And um, I want to enter into worship by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Um, and I know there's a, maybe a few different words that we might use depending on what translation we learned it, and that's okay. Um, but let us be formed by the scale that Jesus gave us, by the relationship, by the understanding of God's kingdom, by pulling ourselves away from ourselves and allowing God to actually shape us and form us. So let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. How are you being formed? Do you recognize the transformation happening in your own life? And if you feel like you're stuck, I would ask you, are you praying? And if you feel like you're still stuck, I would ask you, what are you praying? Are your prayers actually forming you to be more, more Christ-like or are they actually just reinforcing your own individual feelings? Because God wants to pull you out of your individuality and transform you to be more like him. And so you say, where do I start? I would say start right where we started this morning, that you would pray the Lord's Prayer, that you would allow that to form you daily. There's so much that's in that prayer. And after you learn that scale you know, over and over again, there's going to be spontaneous things that come out of that prayer time. And that's great. You know, beyond the Lord's Prayer, you know, get, in, get into the Psalms. Like, recognize the prayers of God's people throughout history. You'll find every human emotion you've ever felt in those Psalms. Allow the Psalms to form you. And beyond that, maybe you want to start reading prayers that um, has, have shaped the church throughout history. I want to end this morning by praying a, you know, a, a prayer that was written for us by a church father long ago. Um, so that, that's how we'll end. But before we get there, just to quickly highlight uh, just a couple of things. Uh, keep playing, Sam. I like it when you're playing. Um, just highlight a couple of things. The, uh, the sign up for the men's retreat, kids' church, and uh, the Ascent weekend. 
the Ascent weekend, I think, is actually going to be a critical weekend for our campus. It's a campus-specific weekend. It's just a Friday night, Saturday morning, basically, um, just after lunch on the Saturday. And our hope is to have every volunteer uh, that's involved in any, any area of ministry in Fish Creek set up, you know, tear down, kids' church, youth, uh, you know, Sunday teams, um, care ministry teams, uh, that we would have a campus weekend for us to be shaped and formed together. Because um, it's so easy for us to get going through the year and, and we, we're kind of in our own little quarter doing our own little thing, but we don't recognize how our little part plays a role in the whole. And so I think it's going to be a critical weekend and it's been a long time since we've done one of just coming together and saying, why do we do this? What's the vision behind what we're doing? Why, you know, why would someone come early and set up? You know, can we recapture the heart of what we're trying to do and what God's wanting to do through us. And I think this weekend will be really important for that. So, so please mark that on your calendar. That's September 9th and 10th. You can sign up in the foyer if you're involved in any area of volunteering or interest in volunteering. Uh, this weekend's for you. Um, it'll be critical as we move forward into the coming year. Um, and there's one other thing I was going to say, but I forgot it. So let's, uh, we'll just end there. Oh yeah, prayer ministry. Um, sometimes we have, we have, we have a hard time praying our own or how do we um, how do we pray words that are going to form us that aren't just from ourselves you know and I talked about praying these prayers that Jesus gave us that other Christians have given us uh, but part of being formed is actually having other people pray for you too that people pray truth into your life that you you hear it that it that it gets proclaimed over you and that helps shape you and form you and pull you out of whatever you're in to help you see it differently from God's perspective and so we offer that opportunity to be formed in that way of prayer every Sunday, um, along with other opportunities during the week. Uh, but this is a primary time where we do that. And after the service, we always have prayer teams available at the front and in the foyer. And part of that is just because we want to be formed in the context of community, not as an individuals, but to have people in community that pray over us, that proclaim truth over us, that help us bring what we're carrying to God and get God's perspective on what's going on in our lives. So we just invite you always to take advantage of that after the service. So now that we're ending, uh, let's, let's pray another prayer together. This, this is a prayer that was given to us by uh, St. Francis. And I think it's a good example of being formed rather than seeking to get God to do what we want, inviting God to form us to do as he would want. I think we have it on the screen. There we go. Let's pray this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Isn't that a great prayer? So we, we recite these types of scales and they form us. So uh, we pray that together. I pray that over you this morning. May you be an instrument of God's peace, that his reign and his kingdom would be in your life, um, and that you would begin to see things in, in your life from his perspective and not just our own. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue the series.